Welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast, where we tackle teaching challenges from a biblical perspective. Why are we here? Because we don't believe that our spiritual walk and teaching profession should exist in two separate domains. Rather, the hope we have in Christ should change how we approach everything, not just at home, but at school as well. So join us as we explore both the spiritual and practical sides of key teaching challenges, integrating them together so we can succeed at teaching, glorify God, and make a lasting difference in our students' hearts and lives. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation, but any views and opinions expressed in this episode are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Herzog Foundation. Well, today we're excited to start a brand new series where we're going to take kind of the best of the best, some of our top picks from previous Rise Up Summit sessions. So these are sessions, conversations we've had with incredible educators where they share their best advice on a variety of topics. So we are going to be picking some of our favorite summit episodes um, from past summits. A couple of these have been shared on the podcast before, but they were so good, we really wanted to bring them back. And a couple of them are brand new. They've never been shared in this format on the podcast before. So we're so excited and hope that you will enjoy these conversations. Today's is a conversation with Laura Keybart of Language Arts Teachers, where she's going to help us make differentiation a whole lot easier in our classroom. We're going to dive right into this conversation. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Rise Up Summit. I'm here today with Laura Keybart, and we're going to be talking about how to differentiate learning in an English language arts classroom. And I'm so excited about this because this is always relevant, but maybe on your, our minds in different ways this year um, as we're facing different learning situations and still kind of trying to figure out what that looks like from week to week. So thank you so much for being here, Laura. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here, Linda. I'm happy to be part of the Rise Up Summit event and to be talking about this specific topic. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite topics to, to dive into. That's awesome. And before we get started, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling a little bit about your experience? Yeah, sure. So I have nearly 20 years of classroom teaching experience and instructional coaching experience. Um, I've taught everything from sixth to uh, 12th grade English language arts. I started with nine years at the high school level teaching anything from remediation to advanced placement to creative writing, um, all things English language arts, reading, writing, and kind of on the side of that, I was working Wednesday nights just volunteering at my local church. And the group I happened to be working with for a couple of years in a row were my middle school students. And so I realized towards the end of that nine-year period with, with high school, I thought, these kids are really fun, really quirky, really fun. I love this age group. I think I need a change. And so I transferred to middle school, which a lot of people think is totally insane, but um, I loved it. So that's kind of where I've been the last several years. Um, now I serve teachers in the online space because I learned through being an instructional coach that the most realistic, most simplistic ways of doing things that actually help teachers is often not directly in alignment with what administration wants or with what they think they want. And so I thought I'm, I'm going to serve people in an online space where I am not tied to any kind of district standards or district mandates. There's no school politics. I'm just going to do for teachers what needs to be done. And so that is where I am now. Um, that is how I serve right now. And when we're talking about, I know we're here today to talk about differentiation, but this is one of those topics that this is one of the biggest 
um, stress points for teachers. This is oftentimes one of many things besides classroom management that keeps teachers up late at night. And so like, I'm reminded there's a, like a, a verse in Psalms that says like, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. <laughs> and so I always think about that because, oh, we can lie down, but what keeps our minds going at 2 a.m.? What keeps us up at 2 a.m.? What keeps us worried at 2 a.m.? And a lot of times, if it's not classroom management, it's the differentiation. It's feeling the pressure that we all, we, we have to provide so many different things to so many different kids. And like, I'm one person, I have 168 hours in the week. How on earth am I supposed to do this? And just all the pressure from the top. And so in my teaching experience and in my um, instructional coaching experience and my experience serving teachers in the online space, I've really developed a kind of a new way of thinking about differentiation to truly serve their needs, genuinely serve their needs, but without going insane. It's about keeping it simple and realistic. So that's where I am right now. Well, that's awesome. We can't wait to hear more about that. And we're going to make sure we link to Laura's website so you can check out all her amazing resources and her membership and just so many things to help you out if you could use um, some more help after this session. But uh, you mentioned a few things you mentioned kind of, and we're going to be talking about what exactly does differentiation mean. But yeah, even this year, you know, trying to meet the needs of different students. And then this year we have thrown in the fact that some of them may be online, some of them may be home, you know, in person, you might be seeing different people different days. So it really does just even throw an extra wrench in it um, to what is already a challenge. So let's yes. back up just a second and talk about what, just so we're on the same page, when you say, dif when we say differentiation, what do we mean by that? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, so first of all, th there are a lot of misconceptions around what differentiation is or around what it has to be. There's a lot of mindset around, you know, it's tailored, um, bespoke, individualized, you know, very specific lesson plans. It means if I've got 25 kids in my classroom, all 25 need a different lesson. They need a different way to approach the material. And that means I've got to create all these, all these different resources. And I've got to bring in all these different leveled reading passages. I've got to provide all these different activities for them. That is a huge myth. And I've even, I've been in professional workshops where this is like, this is, you're told that this is what it is and how to do it. Uh, no, <laughs> that's, that's a myth. It does not need to be that way. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone is getting something completely different. It doesn't mean that you as a teacher are scrambling for resources, trying to invent all these different ways to teach all these different things to your kids. Um, especially in light of having large classes where some are sitting in front of you, maybe some are at home on their computers, maybe, you know, all the different situations. There are so many needs. There are too few resources. Um, there's too little time and then there's too much to document. So it does not need to be all those things. All those things that we think of when we hear differentiation, that's really not what it needs to be. The truth is that differentiation is really more about having, just having the strategies in your back pocket to teach the material, the same material, but to maybe just teach it in different ways or to provide students with different ways to access the material. So, you know, strategies and tools are things you have in your brain as a teacher. They're things you have from your experiences. They're, they're not things that require extra work or extra hours other than just learning these tools and strategies. Um, and this is why differentiation, it, it's so important because you're giving the same grade level material to your students, right? but we're providing different ways for them to access and interact with that material. That's what differentiation is. And once you can figure out how 
to let your kids access the same material, but let them access it in different ways. It relieves so much pressure, so much stress. It has nothing to do with you creating all these different things for your classroom. And really, there's so much talk in our society about equity in education. And differentiation doesn't mean that kids sitting in your classroom are all getting different materials. That's not, that's not fair. They, they're, they, they need to have access to the same grade level standards. But what's different where differentiation comes in is it's just you providing ways for them to interact with it. So I can go into some examples if you want, but I didn't want to just ramble on forever about that either. So, well, yeah, I definitely want to talk about some examples, but if I'm understanding right, uh, what you're saying is that rather than having to re like every lesson think, Oh, how do I differentiate this? There's some like set things that you can repeat over and over, or you can teach students these certain, so like you can take, is that, is that right? It's it's kind of these standardized, I know we're going to talk about it, but is that the idea you kind of have these patterns that you follow or these certain Mm -hmm. ways that you distribute information so that where you kind of do the same thing over and over? Yeah, exactly. Um, so like here, here's one example. Let's, let's pretend, let's imagine, um, you know, and you can apply this to any, whether you're an English teacher or not, right? You might be a social studies, history teacher, a science teacher. It, it doesn't matter. Um, let's take an example. Let's pretend that we're reading a short story in class and it's a short story. And I know that over half my students are not even at this reading level yet. Let's say it's seventh grade. And I've got some really, you know, some struggling readers. They're reading at a fourth, fifth, sixth grade level. This story is going to be really hard for them to access. But at the end of the day, I don't want, I don't want to lessen my expectations for them. And I don't want to create a barrier where they can't even access the grade level material. So this short story, I'm going to present it in different ways. Maybe I read aloud with them. Maybe I provide an audio version of, of myself reading the story or, you know, something I find on YouTube where it's already been done. Um, Maybe I'm doing a choral reading with them. Maybe I get them involved where I'm going to read part of the story and you never know what word I'm going to stop on. But when I stop, I want you all to poorly give me the word. And so even if it's a word they don't know, they can't pronounce it, it gives them the opportunity to pay attention, to stay focused, to interact with the story in different ways. Um, I might have them read the story again, yet again, maybe this time they're reading it in small groups, maybe they're reading it with each other, but I'm giving them different ways to access the material. And so then let's say I've got a set of really high level rigorous questions that go with it right? They go with the story because that's all about the high level rigor, right? And so let's say my question is something like, um, explain, explain what the most, um, let me rephrase that. I'm doing this just impromptu. (laughs) Explain the most important, you know, which details of the setting are most important to the plot. So I'll say it again. Which details of the setting are most important to the plot. That's a high level question if we just read the story. So if we're talking about differentiation, think about it. I just gave, I just gave several ways for students to access the story, even if they weren't on grade level. See, I didn't go out and find all these random different stories, right? I gave them the same story, but we accessed it in different ways. Now this question, this high level question, when I, if I have students who are struggling students who don't even know what setting means, they don't know that setting is time and location. Well, I'm going to stop right there with that group of students, and we're just going to talk about setting in terms of time and location. I'm giving them all the same question. I'm giving them all that same high-level question. But for these kids right here, we're not going to do anything with the question until we get down pat that setting is time and location. Well, then maybe I've got this on-level group of students, okay? They're, they're pretty much on grade level. 
So maybe for them, I just need to approach this question by asking them to kind of rephrase it. What do you think this question is asking? Could we ask it in a different way? What does the question want you to do? So many kids just don't know what the question is asking. Like, I understand the story and I know what setting is and I know what plot is. I just don't really get the way that question was worded. Okay, so maybe the differentiation there is that we just need to spend time talking about what the question wants you to do. And then maybe I've got some high-flying students, right? And maybe they rush through everything. I don't want to generalize, but, you know, we've all, you know, they rush through everything or maybe they're just not taking it quite far enough. Um, and so we're going to spend more time on really looking at which details of the setting are the most important to the plot? Like, why did the author put some of those details in there, right? Why would an author spend extra time writing words he didn't have to write? <laughs> so it must be there for a reason. What is the author's purpose? So now we're going really deep. So that's an example of differentiation where they all get the same story. They all get the same question. But as the teacher, I'm focusing on this aspect of the question for my struggling ones. I'm focusing on this aspect of the question for my on-level kids and for my high flyers. We're going to take the question and just extend it a little bit more so that they're not quite rushing through it the way that they do sometimes. So that's an example of like I, as the teacher, I'm not spending hours and hours on my evenings and weekends trying to find different leveled stories. (laughs) You know, I'm not spending hours and hours trying to write all these different levels of questions. I I gave everybody the same story. I gave everybody the same high level question. I'm just approaching it a little bit differently. That's That's no extra work. That's no extra work for me. That's really helpful. Thank you for that example. So I have a couple of follow-up questions to that example. And then I know you have lots of other tips for us. (laughs) So when you're talking about doing, giving them different options for how they can access the story. Do you decide that? Like, do you say, okay, today we're going, I'm going to read it aloud or, or do students get to pick? I'm going to listen to the audio or read it. Like, how do you normally do that in your class? You know, um, at the beginning of the school year, when I don't know my kids, they don't know me and I'm not exactly sure where everyone is. Um, I'm, I'm in control of that. So I might find a YouTube video that already has somebody reading aloud and maybe it, maybe it has like the, the captions or the text with it so they can hear it, they can see it. Um, I might read a portion of it aloud myself in order to emphasize something. Um, I might model with a small group of students what reading together looks like, but you're right, like what it looks like, what it sounds like, what we're doing, what we're not doing. And then, so I, I put all of my kids through all these scenarios. We're all um, seeing it and hearing it like on YouTube, or if YouTube doesn't have one, then I'll do it myself. Um, we're all practicing reading together in groups. We're all, pra- you know, we're all doing these things. And then I make it um, the norm in my classroom that there are so many different ways to read and interact with a text so that down the road, right, three weeks from now, a month from now, six months from now, it's not, oh, those kids are the ones who get the audio. Oh, those kids are the ones who have Mrs. Keybart reading with her or those kids always read by themselves. It's not. We're, we're creating this atmosphere that it's normal for you to read it this way or for you to read it that way. And then as we move through, as kids are comfortable with the different ways that I have them interact with the reading, they, they get to choose later on. Yeah. But just in the beginning, I do have all my students go through all the, all the processes of that so that it becomes the norm, that there are different ways to interact with the reading. And that makes so much sense. And someone might not even occur to them that they like a certain, a certain format or a certain format helps them until they try it. So you're taking through, you're, you're trying all these, you're, you're modeling and teaching how to do it. And then eventually, 
at some point you may choose to give them their own choice. Okay. Yes. That's really helpful. Yes. And then when you do the questions, when you're saying that you kind of break out these questions differently, um, and I know teachers can arrange this so many different ways, but when you did it, did you typically group students in groups and then give them individual instructions? Like how did that work from a management aspect? Yeah, from a management aspect, this is where stations and centers come into play. And that's and besides I know differentiation. <laughs> we'll <leave soon. laughs> yeah, I have a whole a whole separate online training on just on stations and centers. But um yeah, I'm I'm a fan of presenting the same work to all of my students, but then what I do with that work, what I do with those students, that's where the differentiation comes in. So when I sit down at my teacher table, and I did this even in high school, this is this is not just an elementary thing. So many teachers think, well, that's, that's elementary. I mean, what do you do at secondary or how do I bring stations into secondary? That's, that's elementary. No, it's not. And so I did this in middle school and high school myself. And so when I, when I pull kids over to me, just, just for a quick check-in, maybe just five minutes, this is where that differentiation happens. Um, I've trained them so that they, they bring their work to me. If you're in a digital situation as well, you can do digital breakout rooms too, where you, the teacher, pop in and you can do something different with the question. Um, you can scaffold the question. You can rephrase the question or kind of chunk the question so that they're only looking at certain parts at a certain time. But that happens, that happens really with you um, modeling it and through discussion with you. And so um, then you can send students back to their groups or if you're... <laughs> If you're in a digital situation, you can pop out of the digital room that, that you're in, go pop into another digital room. Um, but yeah, that's, it happens, that happens more often in stations. And you know, here's the thing. Once students have been through this process with you several times, it, you've, you're almost teaching them how to break down a question. You're almost teaching them that, okay, if I don't get what this question's asking, um, is there a part of the question that I get that I can then, I can at least answer that part. So over time, you'll have kids who will go from saying, well, I didn't do this because I didn't get it. Which part didn't you get? None of it. I got none of it. I don't know any of it. <laughs> you'll have kids who stop doing that and you start saying, well, I mean, I started answering it this way, but then I got confused. Okay, but you started, right? Or, well, um, the question is kind of a two-part question. I only... I think I only understood, understood the last part of the question. So I didn't really do the first part. Okay. But I can work with that as a teacher. And then you're giving your kids ownership. Like your kids don't just sit there. Well, I can't do this. You know, your kids are sitting there like, well, I couldn't do this part, but I could do this part. So that's another really powerful benefit from kind of running things this way. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for that example. Um, what is next? You, I know you talked about there's some ways to differentiate whole class activities when students are on different reading levels, like you said, without having a million different, you know, level text and such. Yeah. Um, so just some different ways you can differentiate are, <laughs> that sounds funny, different ways to differentiate. Um, but, you know, including a lot of open-ended questions can be a saving grace because, you know, and I know there's a shift in, in our educational culture to move away from the multiple choice questions. So leverage that and use that to your benefit and to your students' benefit. Rely more on open-ended questions because kind of as I, as I mentioned before, providing students with an open-ended question allows them to at least start to show you what they know. And a lot of times they, they know more than what we think they know. And so to put a question into a little box and then to give four little answer choices um, is very limiting. And so for a struggling student, 
leaving it open-ended and just, just tell me what you think about this question um, can be so powerful for differentiation and for the student to be able to show you, at least show you what they do know or what they think they know. Um, at the very, very least, I've taught my students, and again, this is across grade levels, across content areas. If you have students who are totally confused by a question, then step one is rewrite the question. Like, don't don't ever come to me saying I don't get this question. At least re, at least rewrite it. Um, and then, from my perspective as a teacher, I can see, oh, you rewrote it, so it's really asking this. Oh, like now I can see where the breakdown is. Now I can see where the confusion was. So, one way to differentiate is to rely more on open ended questions. Um, another way to differentiate is to think of your questions or think of your assignments in terms of you, you can narrow the assignment or you can extend the assignment. So it is okay to take one assignment, everybody gets the same assignment, and maybe for these kids over here, these kids who are struggling a little bit, you can narrow things down. It's kind of like chunking, but you might say, I just want you to do this part. You can even physically highlight it, whether it's in person in your classroom, highlight it, or maybe it's a digital way to highlight or to mark up, you know, a PDF, but have them do just one part at a time and then check in with you so that they're not overwhelmed. And so that you aren't having them work too long on something, but in the wrong direction, right? Like <laughs> we don't want to reinforce misunderstandings by having, you know, you, cause you'll have kids who I will do whatever it takes to complete this assignment, but if they've completed it incorrectly the whole time, well, there's a whole lot to go back and reteach. So narrow an assignment by just giving them a section to work on, and then they need to check in with you. Um, or for some of your high-flying students, you can extend part of that assignment. You might decide, you know what, actually, I, I really just want you to focus on this part and this part and then check in with me. But maybe this part and this part are, maybe you extended the question. Maybe you extended, um, and it's not more work. It's not about giving more work. It's about maybe you're asking a deeper question or maybe you're you're asking them to make a comparison um, that you're not asking your other students to make right now. So you can narrow or extend assignments you already have by looking at the questions um, or by providing like a parallel text just to see, you know, maybe to, to, show a different perspective and to have some of your high-flying kids um, maybe come up with new ideas about those comparisons. A third way that you can differentiate, and this takes no extra work, is think about recording grades at different times for different kids. So I know that um, standards-based grading is what a lot of people have had to move to. I'm not talking about standards-based grading here. When I say record grades at different times, I mean, if you, if you have a quick check-in with a student and you're talking with that student and you in your head, you're like, oh my goodness, this, yeah, this kid, he's got it. Whoa, he's got it. He understands. Well, if you're having that moment as a teacher, jot that down, record a grade. Well, I didn't, I didn't take, I didn't actually take his assignment. I, he didn't actually turn it in yet. Okay. But do I know in my head, can I see, do I know that he's got it? Well then record the grade and be done. Less grading for you. And that's immediate feedback for him, right? If you have a kid who's struggling, then maybe, um, Maybe don't record that grade until you've had a chance to follow up again with that student. Like give yourself permission to record grades at different times. And I don't mean I'm going to record this grade now and the next one's not for two months. I mean, like um, maybe uh, maybe I can tell that these kids have it. So why am I, if I already know they have it, why am I going to take these documents and go sit down in three days while my family eats dinner in the other room and I'm skipping because I've got to work? Well, just record the grade right now. 
And then for kids who are struggling, like I said, give them a couple more days. Give them a couple more days to interact with you or interact with each other and see if anything changes in the clarity that they have around the assignment. So those are those are three quick ways right there that you can think about differentiation. Um, and I have an online differentiation training where I go in, I think I have six different ways on there. So that's only three, but um, those are things that are just kind of a different mindset shift, you know, that teachers have to make. Um, and it, it's no extra work because think about it. I mean, if, if you're, if you're so rigid with, um, I'm not going to grade these until everybody turns them in. Well, if, what if a third of your class, you've already determined they've got it, that that's less for you to grade or your struggling students turn something in and then they end up having to redo it anyway. Well, now you're just doing double the amount of work because you assess the first time. Now you're assessing again, right? So it's, it's actually less work for you as a teacher. <laughs> we take a quick break to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation. The Herzog Foundation supports Christian education in a variety of ways, and I highly recommend checking them out. One thing in particular I want to recommend to you is looking at their trainings. They have free in-person trainings for both Christian school leaders and in some cases, for teachers as well. These cover a variety of important topics like culture building, board leadership, marketing and enrollment, strategic planning, and so much more. Not only are the trainings free, but lodging and meals are often also covered by the Herzog Foundation. So please check these out and see if they're right for you and your school at herzogfoundation.com slash events. Now back to the program. These are such great ideas because, and I think, I hope you guys, as you're listening to like, this is kind of providing a springboard of new ways of looking at it because yeah, it's really just opening up possibilities that it doesn't have to look like the, maybe the way you thought it did. I love this thought of just taking grades. I mean, the point of grades is to, right. You said assess how students are doing. So if you can do that informally, why, you know, you, you can, you can replace grades or you can just have spots in your grade book for informal assessments or whatever, however it works, however it makes yeah. sense in your mind, just opening that up as a possibility. That's really, really helpful. And we'll link to your, uh, your training too. So people can kind of go through if they want more help with this. That's sure. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, I saw that you also have tips about how to teach students to speak and write academically at their own pace. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, because part of what differentiation is, is allowing students to do what they can do when they can do it and then scaffolding up as they grow. So to speak and write academically, and really it involves, you know, reading, writing, speaking, and listening. We hit those four big areas in language arts, but of course, science, you know, social studies, math, we need all of those strands happening in those content areas as well. But um, I use a strategy called tense for talking and what it is. Well, (laughs) I don't know if you can see this, but take a paper and there there are digital ways to do this too, but essentially you fold, can you see this? (laughs) Put it up a little bit. There we go. We can see it. Okay. You fold it like this. It's like a tent, right? And actually, um, if you're in a classroom setting, cardstock works a lot better, but that's what it looks like. That's why it's called a tent for talking. And then what's on both sides of that tent are question stems or sentence stems that are standards-based, like just whatever your standards are, look at your standards and form those standards into questions or statements that are open-ended. Put them... Um, put them all over, like you can type it out or handwrite it. Yeah, um, an example might be, well, kind of like the one that I used before. Um, um, which details of the setting are most impactful 
in the plot. Or you could say, you know, let's switch genres. Maybe it's um, um, the author's purpose in paragraph two is dot, dot, dot. So, you know, you might have a tent full of fiction questions. You might have a separate tent full of persuasive argumentative questions or sentence stems. Um, you might have a separate one for, um, you know, nonfiction text structure and text features. Maybe there's another one for poetry where you involve a lot of uh, figurative language question stems, sentence stems. And These the point that can work for like any story, they're not tailored specifically yeah. to the story, right? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm all about simple, realistic, less work for the teacher. So yeah, I don't do specific ones for specific stories. Um, but the power is that, you know, we've been in those situations where we've read something, we've discussed something, and now we want our students to work in small groups. We want our students to discuss and I'm going to set the timer for 12 minutes to discuss. Yeah, they're done in 30 seconds. <laughs> they really didn't discuss anything, but we need them speaking about the text in an academic way. We need them using those power phrases. If it's, if it's fiction, we need them talking about character motivation and conflict and internal and external. You know, we, ne we need them using and owning all of those phrases and those terms. And so the tents for talking allow them to do that because now they've got this tent in front of them. They can turn it, you know, look at it. They can choose which question or which sentence stem they want to start with. And so for kids who are struggling or for kids who maybe, maybe English is not their first language, they have something they can see and hear and practice with in sitting in front of them in small groups. Um, and this is something I model with my students. I'll have, you know, three students come up to the front with me. And again, this is traditional school, not <laughs> a weird online hybrid situation, but um, you could actually use something like Padlet and create a Padlet for everything I'm talking about right now. And they can do a digital version of this, but anyway, yeah, but have, you know, three kids come up and sit with you. Um, and then you, you practice, you show them like, um, show yourself turning it around and thinking, um, okay. And then you read the questions stem, and then another student in the group will answer it. Um, or I read the question stem, and another student, um, um, maybe reads it back to me or I answer it myself and another student adds something to it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. There are different ways to do it. Um, and then, you know, at the end of class, maybe as an exit ticket or as an exit strategy, you have your students choose one question stem or one sentence stem and they need to write it out along with their answer. And it could be an answer they discussed, you know, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea that they're practicing using that academic domain specific vocabulary specific to the genre they've been working on. They've heard it. They've spoken it. They've been discussing um, those terms and those phrases. And now they're writing it. And so using this over and over, right. Think about what that does for a kid who walked into your classroom or logged onto your classroom and is struggling. Maybe that kid who never speaks up, who never says anything, right? The kid who says, I don't even know what that question's asking. I don't know what external conflict is. But you do this over and over and it builds their confidence. And now you've got kids reading, speaking, listening, and writing using academic vocabulary to discuss. Um, and that really helps take care of the issue of you know, we're, we're done talking about it. We finished because <laughs> they've got all these choices and you can even extend that activity. It, you can move through the year and you can, you can start giving kids blank, you know, tense. And you can say, we're going to be reading, um, you know, an argumentative essay today. What types of question stems do you think we should put on our tense and start having your kids form that themselves?
make their own tents. So it can, it can work really well for struggling students. And that's a great way to extend it, you know, to differentiate it for your high flyer students. I do love these ideas. You're so right. They're not extra work. It's taking the same thing. And you're also not making students feel like I'm doing the easy work or I'm doing the hard work. You're just, you're putting your, everyone's on the same activity. It just looks a little different in how it's applied or, or so. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's helpful. Yeah. All right. And then you also mentioned instruction um, and levels of questioning. How does that work? Yeah. So I don't know if some of your listeners, your, your viewers here have heard of AVID, but AVID talks a lot about um, levels of questions. And I kind of alluded to this before, but, you know, and, and it's funny because AVID um, did not invent levels of questions. I think they just maybe simplified the way it's used, but essentially it's a level one, a level two, and a level three question. So again, students, in fact, let's, let's imagine you're looking at a picture. Let's show, let's say you show a picture, just, just an image, um, on your computer screen and you're sharing it with your students. So level one might, might be like, um, tell me what, you know, tell about what the dog in the picture is doing. So it's very factual, factual based, right? Fact-based. You could do this with 12th grade. You could do this with second grade. What is the dog doing? Um, the dog is about to attack the cat. No, he's not. You're making an inference. What is the dog doing? Well, his paw is raised. Um, I see his tooth, you know, (laughs) um, the hair on his neck is raised up. So level one is very factual. And so if you have students who are struggling in your class, this is a place where you can start with them. Just start with what the facts are. Um, and when your students get used to you, asking them just what are the facts of the passage? What are the facts in this picture? Um, Everyone can start with that. Everyone can start with that. It gives something for the kid. It gives something to do for the kids who typically sit back and say, I don't get this. I can't do this. Well, they can at least do that part. And that builds their confidence. Level two question is more like, well, um, what do you think the dog is looking at in the picture? What does it seem like the dog is looking at? So now we're making some inferences um, and we can support those inferences with facts from the level one questions. So um, this helps students make logical inferences. Students can make inferences all day long, but a lot of times they're not logical at all. They make no sense. (laughs) Um, But when you take the time, even when you have high achieving students who maybe don't need that level one part, when you take the time to say, let's just start with the facts, right? Very basic. Um, Now in level two, when you ask them to make inferences, okay, but they have to be based on the facts. Remember, we just talked about the facts. Maybe we even listed them over here, right? And so now they're getting a sense of how to prove that what they're thinking is a logical thought. And then level three is where we really ask them to use their imaginations. We ask them to maybe um, justify what they're seeing or justify what they're thinking. We're asking them to um, evaluate what is happening in the picture or what is happening in the text that they're reading. Um, If we change this or that, what might happen? If this detail we're missing in the image. If this detail we're missing in the story, what would change? So now we've got some really high level thinking happening. And so that's basically, that's, that's what the level one, two, and three questions are. And that's not something I invented. It's just something that um, I find makes one text or one image or one challenge or one assignment. It makes those things very accessible to students. And again, it's just you as a teacher in your mind thinking about different 
things to ask your students based on what they're seeing or hearing or reading. And, and you, you can even, are you saying you can do this with the whole group? Like you can go through all three questions with the whole group, right? That, yeah. yeah, that's really powerful because I do think sometimes, like you said, there's this myth that like differentiation means everyone's doing something different. And it's like, well, no, I just tailored my questions everyone benefited by going back to a simple question because mm-hmm. then they have the evidence right in front of them. Yep. And then if, if this, if the, if the struggling students aren't able to answer level two and three, they still benefit from seeing it. They're still benefiting from seeing the higher level thinking and starting yeah. to see how it works. Am I understanding? Yeah. That's really powerful, but yeah, you are differentiating. I, like someone yeah. might, an admin, no, uh, 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 a visitor might come in and not think that, but you are. Mm-hmm. You are. And that, and, and so much pressure can come on teachers like that because you'll, you'll have the administrator and it's happened to me too. walk in the room for two minutes and they write down low level question. No, no, it's a strategy. Let me explain. I like, I have a method. <laughs> um, and then you're like, why didn't you walk in five minutes later when we were doing the level three questions, you missed the best part, but that doesn't mean we don't do it. Right. Right. That doesn't mean we don't do it. We, we do it. <laughs> um, and then we all laugh about it later. So That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all these strategies. And like I said, we're going to link to more of your trainings because I know I'm, you got me curious about so many more things. So that's really awesome. Um, as we finish up, do you have any other advice for teachers who are working to differentiate, especially in just this crazy 2020 year? Yeah, it sure is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would just say, you know, remember that differentiation isn't, it isn't just based on what we do as teachers, um, it's more like what we, what we do that allows for students to respond in different ways or to interact with our assignments or texts or questions. It's more about what we do to allow them to interact, um, with the materials in different ways. So, um, you know, different ways for them to respond to us, to work with us, to respond to each other. Um, the last thing in the world is that we should be doing, you know, more work, pulling extra passages, doing extra assignment. Like we don't need to be doing that. We just need to maybe shift the way that we're thinking about differentiation. And if we can do that, um, we're going to have a much less stressful year for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And one just follow-up question to that is it sounds like to, I mean, obviously giving student choices can be a great strategy and give, but it sounds like it also can just be doing different things, right? Like, so allowing, you know, today we're doing this tomorrow. Is, is that true? So it's not necessarily always, you know, I have to give the students three choices every time I give yeah. it. It's sometimes just giving them different, different things. Am I yeah. And, and I mean, sure. Differentiation can be a choice board or giving them three questions and telling them to just pick one. Of course it can be. It's just that sometimes we can get so lost as teachers, like, okay, I need a choice board. I'm doing a new novel. And like, you're, you're again, constantly scrambling for something. So choice boards are great, but you know, and that's such a good point actually that you brought up is, you know, if you've got an assignment that has 10 questions, your kids don't need to do all 10 questions. What if you tell your students, I want everyone here to do number one and number five, and then you get to pick one more on your own. That's okay. That's okay. Less for you to grade. <laughs> I mean, cause the point is, how, as a teacher, how, how do I know when my kids got it? How do I know that they've got it? If they could just answer these three questions, would that be enough for me to, to know that they got it? Well, if so, then just, just do the three, you know, or, um, or let them, if you've got a, you know, a page with five activities on it, five things they've got to do based on this thing that they read, 
um, let them pick any two of the five. Kids love that stuff. So that's totally fine. Um, but you know, if you're in a situation where, okay, I don't, all I have is this passage. I don't really even have any questions that go with it, or these questions are so outdated. There's no way I can use them. Okay. Now I've got to create all this stuff for my kids to do. And I've got to go and find all these other similar passages at different reading level. No, you don't, you don't need to do any of that. So I hope that, you know, what we talked about today can give teachers in those situations, the confidence that, yeah, I can, I can provide differentiation for my students with pretty much zero extra work on my part. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to share this. I know lots of teachers are going to find it just so helpful. Before we go, go, can you tell us just a little bit more about your website and what you offer and how teachers can connect with you and learn more? Sure. Uh, So my website is languageartsteachers.com. And I mostly serve sixth, seventh, and eighth grade English language arts teachers. However, I do have teachers in my community who are, you know, fourth and fifth grade teachers, or maybe they're ninth and 10th grade teachers, because middle school can, (laughs) it can encompass a lot of different ages and needs for students. Um, And so I do, um, I do a couple different free trainings. And you can get all that information on that website. I do one on differentiation. If you want more on that topic, I do one on centers and stations. Um, And then I also have a lesson plan membership. Um, where I provide instructional coaching and lesson plan materials for teachers in those grade levels. So it's all at languageartsteachers.com. Well, thank you again so much, Laura. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Linda. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Laura Keybart on Differentiation Made Easy. If you'd like any of the links mentioned in this episode or want to be able to share this with a friend or colleague, you can go to teachfortheheart.com slash best, teachfortheheart.com slash best. Um, that's where we will be sharing all of the notes and links and episodes from this series. You can also get a preview of some of the upcoming conversations at teachfortheheart.com slash best. Before we go, I also want to let you know about an exciting new resource that we can't wait to release. I've talked on the podcast before about Pray and Plan, our planner designed to help educators prioritize prioritize what matters most, both at home and at school and in your spiritual walk. Well, this year we're offering not just a printable version for the calendar year 2024, but also a digital version. So many of you have been asking for a digital version. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can check it out at teachfortheheart.com slash planner. Well, once again, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation. Can't wait to be back with you next week. We're going to be sharing another incredible um, summit session, this one with Praisha Jordan about preventing teacher burnout. So we hope to see you next week. In the meantime, teacher, remember God is at work in you and through you, and he's using you to make a difference. Keep your eyes on him and teach for the heart. 